Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel and I'm the host of the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes and hopefuls on their story impact of the games. Today, very cool guest, Jared Shoemate of USA Nordic Combined, Olympic hopeful. Jared is crazy young. Uh, he is barely 20 years old. Same birthday as my dad. Kind of weird. Um, he's from Park City and uh, he started ski jumping at like nine, which is, which is crazy to me personally. But yeah, Jared was um, a lot of fun to talk to. He had some really cool stories to tell and has really great outlook and, and great understanding of, you know, what he's doing and, and how he's trying to get there. You know, obviously 2018 was not really in the cards for him, unfortunately, with him being as young, but he's on the team. He has the opportunity to learn and understand and move forward. And, uh, you know, hopefully by 2022, only a few years away, he'll, uh, he'll be one of the better ones on the team prime of his career and see what can happen from there. So we're very excited. We have the opportunity to speak with Jared. And I hope you're really excited to listen to his story. Of course, first, got to hang out with our sponsors. Appreciate them. Got to pay the bills, right? So uh, um, launchingpodcast.com, promo code Mike. You get $50 off the easy step-by-step video course to create your very own podcast. Soup to nuts, um, to bolts, to screws and screwdrivers. I don't know. Um, this It's a video course. It goes over everything. Rob is incredible. He's very engaging and interactive. And he really helps you through every single step of the process. What mic to buy, what software to use, multiple different types. Maybe you like one over the other. Hey, he'll give you the options. So he definitely really shows you all the possibilities along the way and in a fun, engaging, interactive way. Um, so you're excited. You're, you're ready to go. You're ready to do it. And you want to do it every single day when you wake up. I personally do everything I learned from this podcast. We're up to, I think this might be the hundredth episode. If not, it's like right around there. Um, you know, everything I learned was from him and from his, you know, his, his knowledge from it. Cause he's done hundreds of episodes. So very excited that I had that opportunity. So make sure you go there, launchingpodcasts.com, promo code Mike, and you get $50 off. Not too bad. So without further ado, here's Jared. All right. Today's special guest, Jared Shoemake of USA Nordic combined Olympic Hopeful, born March 6, 1999, from Park City, Utah. Started Nordic Combined. He started skiing, ski jumping at nine. The rest of it at uh, right around 10. Attended Winter Park School to focus specifically on skiing in high school. Enrolled at the University of Utah in 2016. Congratulations. Ranked 21st in this last season in the Continental Cup circuit and has completed, competed in one World Cup event, finishing 45th in the individual and 10th for the team. Jared. Thanks for hanging out with me today, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for bringing me on. Pleasure's all mine, man. Pleasure's all mine. So if you don't mind, take us back to that fateful day in, uh, in 1999. No. Um, tell, tell us about what it was like growing up in Park City. I mean, it is like a, a skiing and snowboarding haven there. Um, obviously, you don't know much else than what you went through. But I mean, how, how grateful and how, how excited are you that you had that opportunity to grow up there and still live there now? Yeah, definitely like didn't really hit me how fortunate I was until I started going to high school and skiing and like seeing where other people mm-hmm. grow up and how that works. Um, super fortunate. Um, didn't, wasn't born in park city, but moved here okay. super young. Um, then my parents signed me up for ski lessons when I was two or three years old. So mm-hmm. it's been kind of what I've known my whole, whole career. Um, Lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I grew up, across the valley from the utah olympic park where in the olympics we had the bobsled mm-hmm. skeleton luge ski jumping in order combined and once again i didn't really like grasp how fortunate i was to grow up across that until i have people come stay at my house mm-hmm. and they're like whoa this is so crazy that you can see all this from your house and i'm like yeah 
It's just how it's always been. Yeah, it's just it just is. Like here yeah. for me, I live in suburbia, so I just see a lot of houses, and that's always yeah. great too. But no, um, so what was that? I mean, like obviously, as you you know, we we both kind of pointed out, like it's it's everything you've ever known. So you really don't know anything different. But at what point did you realize, like like was there ever kind of that presence of the Olympics kind of always literally hanging over you and kind of like helped you shape and like the town and, and everybody always kind of, was that like a huge piece of the town? Just always kind of having those things. You can always see them and kind of have everyone realize and people come to specifically see it. You live there, you don't really notice it, but at the same time, did that, was that presence always there? I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, we had three or four of the Olympic venues in town. Mm -hmm. Uh, pretty much everybody growing up skiing. Definitely we all did those rounds where we acted like we were in the Olympics, you know, ripping turns mm -hmm. or skiing moguls like we were in the Olympics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's definitely always, whether or not you recognized it as a goal, you always think like, wow, it would be so cool to ski in the Olympics one day. It would uh, be pretty cool. Yeah. It would be pretty cool. And I think Utah is still up for a bid in one of the upcoming ones, if I'm not mistaken. I know they don't want it or maybe you do, but hey, yeah, know, hometown, that'd be sweet. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I think we're shooting for 2030 at this yeah. point. Yeah, I think it's a little further out, but I mean, what's that? 12 years? You'll still be around in 12 years, right? Why not? 11 years. Yeah, we'll, Shoot, look yeah. at that. It's even easier. Yeah, um, exactly. Very cool, man. So uh, thank you for that. I mean, yeah, I just think it's so cool. You know, obviously, every, again, you know, to say it for like the hundredth time now, but you know, you, you've never really known anything different, but at the same time, it's always great because I feel like there is that turning point or that realization that like, oh, wait, this is, uh, this is pretty unique. I mean, considering what most people grow up with or, or, or around, uh, the fact that the Olympic training, you know, an Olympic um, venue has pretty much been essentially in your backyard your whole life is, is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty lucky too because we have an Olympic venue that is still functioning. Mm -hmm. There are some places that have hosted the Olympics where it's just kind of like a ghost town mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or there's no funding or that doesn't work quite right. Um, so it's super fortunate that we have what we have here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think that that's fantastic. So, so one thing I want to do, um, can you actually explain what Nordic combine is to us? So that the next time when we're watching you on TV in a couple of years, cause unfortunately I probably only watch it once every four years. <laughs> the next time I'm watching you on TV, um, I can say, Hey, look at Jared. He's, he's really doing great in this sport. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. It's one of those sports that not too many people hear about except for uh -huh. the Olympics. Um, but we do compete every single year every single season um, you mean you're not sitting on the couch for three years three years and six months as fun as that would be yeah <laughs> <laughs> might not go so well um yeah so nordic combine combines ski jumping nordic ski jumping and cross-country skiing so two very very different sports that we just mesh together because why mm -hmm. not um so we do um usually for us we'll on a competition day we'll ski jump in the morning have a couple hour break and then we use a certain points calculation system. So based on how many points you end with after the ski jumping competition, whoever wins the jumping will start our cross country race first. And then usually it's 15 points per minute back, which works out to be like usually six to seven meters on the ski jump mm -hmm. per minute. And so best jumper starts first and then everybody else uh, has a designated start time. And then first person across the finish line at the end of that is the winner. Okay. So the better at ski jumping you are, the better shot you have at winning essentially. Makes it easier. Yeah. So yeah. If you, right. Mm -hmm, so usually 
it's pretty rare that someone is the best jumper and the oh, best skier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the best skiers or the best ski jumpers definitely have a little bit of an advantage going mm-hmm. into the race. Um, I'm unfortunately uh, not one of those better jumpers. I'm usually a lot faster on the cross country side. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm usually starting from a chase group, trying to make up spots. How, how does, what is training? So, so understanding that aspect of it, what is, what does training look like? Is it now like, okay, I'm, is it okay? I'm just trying to get top 10 for the jump. So that way I can make up the rest of it on the cross country side. Like, what does it look like? Obviously, if you could finish first, everyone would be happiest, but like, what does that look like to you? And how do you kind of almost formulate your, your training regimen or, or your strategy going into one of these competitions to make sure you're setting yourself up for the best possible um, outcome. Yeah. So the cross country aspect of the sport definitely requires a lot more like long physical mm-hmm. yeah, endurance of training. Course, of course. Um, and it takes a lot of time to build up a healthy cross country endurance versus sometimes for ski jumping, you can be training one day and something will click. Mm-hmm. And then from that point on the rest of the season, it just is dramatically better, but it's pretty hard um, for a cross country skier. It's not, you don't really have like one click one day where mm-hmm. you're just automatically a minute and a half faster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we definitely, since it is Nordic combined, we have to combine the two trainings. Uh, so we try to do that as best we can, but in terms of time wise, we definitely dedicate more time to cross country training. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, considering, you know, I've spoken with a few cross country trainers and they're like, uh, or cross country, um, Olympians. And they're just like, yeah, you know, it's like a solid, you know, four or five hours of skiing a day. I'm just like, oh my yeah. gosh, like, I don't know if I could do anything for four or five hours. And then I asked them what their music playlist is like. And they're like, oh no, you can't listen to music. You just, you know, listen to your breath. I'm just like, oh my yeah. gosh. Like I run for 20 minutes and I'm already bored uh, with music. Yeah. So I can only imagine, but that's very interesting. I think that that's super cool. Um, that yeah, the sports are so unbelievably different. I guess, like in a realistic sense, you could almost see how they'd be used together, but at the same time, not really. Um, but uh, I think I think it's really interesting. Do you do you have one that you prefer over the other? Depends on how the day goes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, nothing really beats a good ski jump. Like just the feeling that you have uh-huh. for that entire ski jump is pretty unbeatable, which is probably what keeps us all in sport. Mm-hmm. But then it's also the same on cross country race. If you get mm-hmm. halfway through the race and you're feeling good, it's just it seems it's like a type two type of fun for most mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's really like suffering while you're skiing, but it's a trained fun. Yay. Good for you. At least then that's why there's people like you on planet earth. And then there's people like me. So I'll sit on this side of the microphone and ask all the questions. But so, um, what, what drew you to the combined part of it rather than one of the sports or is there something specific in each athlete or is there a, a common thread that makes it, you know, everyone in Nordic combined is that much different than someone that's just a cross country skier or just a ski jumper. So for Nordic combined versus cross country skiing, you have to grow up somewhere where there is a ski jump. Ah, okay. Uh, so you can't just you because there are a lot of cross-country skiers from the U.S. from states that are super flat, don't mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. any sort of ski jumps that you can jump off of. So that's what gets you into Nordic combined versus just specific cross-country or just a piece of it. Um, and then I'd say probably most people, young athletes, when they start, uh, are pushed to do Nordic combined just from a 
kind of healthy athlete perspective, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. learning more than just one sport. Um, so I started ski jumping only when I was nine, just because I was in an after school program and only had time to ski jump. And then the following year when I fully enrolled in the Park City Nordic Ski Club here, uh, most of the friends that I'd made already did Nordic combine. So it's just a fun thing. You go ski jump one day and then you go cross country ski or go mountain bike or go for a run mm-hmm. the other days. Very cool. Yeah. My after school program was like computers. So yeah. I think <laughs> yeah, ski jumping is pretty in, darn uh, cool. Yeah. Super fortunate. It's a program called Get Out and Play. And so it's just, I think every elementary school, every public elementary school in Park City does it where kids can sign up. And it's every Friday throughout the ski season. We get out of school early anyway. So at 12 o'clock, get on a bus and go to whatever venue you chose for the get out and play program. That is sweet. Yeah. Uh, I did not have that here in New Jersey. I'm grateful for everything I did have, but I definitely did not have that. So let's actually jump into the school aspect of it a little bit. So you went to Winter Park High School, correct? Which is a winter, like a ski kind of school. Explain that a little bit and kind of the decision that was made to enter a school like that. Okay. Yeah. So it's called the Winter Sports School. Oh, Um, my apologies. Yeah. No worries. Um, So it been around i think since the late 90s uh it was a private school up until the year before i joined nice uh, so it was like a fifteen thousand dollar tuition every year uh, but at the year i joined it switched to a charter school so it meant it was the same price as going to a public high school here um, and it operates april through november so that gives a chance for all the athletes there to train travel compete throughout the winter and not have to worry about missing class and mm-hmm. falling behind in school uh, and what so was think, what, like what was the decision like because you're so this is a high school so you're 14 years old yeah. like were you were you crushing it that much from the age of 10 to 13 that you're you and your parents kind of made the decision like was it just like hey i want to do this or like hey this is a legitimate path that we can take now um it definitely took some of me pushing my parents to allow me to do it because the Park City High School that we have here is um, super high quality high school. So mm-hmm. it was hard um, for me to be like, hey, let me leave this school where I'm getting a super good education because I want to go ski. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just something I'd say around that time was when I really just started to like develop a passion for Nordic Combined. Like I just, it's kind of what I thought about all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just what I wanted to be doing. And so I think my parents recognized that and realized that even though I would be leaving the Park City High School, like the education that I would be getting at the winter school was going to be comparable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it definitely took some convincing on my part to let the, my parents. Yeah, as long as there's not a significant drop, out, uh, drop off in the education portion of it and you can still do something that you love continuously, it sounds like. I mean, shoot, why not, right? Sounds yeah, like exactly. it, it sounds like the decision was made pretty well um, on everybody's side. So congratulations about that. I think that that's super cool, the Winter Sports School. Um, and then obviously the education was pretty well because you are in the honors college at the University of Utah, right? So, or you were, or you kind of are. So, so tell us what it was like uh, attending, uh, you know, being a Ute and uh, attending the, the University of Utah. Yeah, so I started school in 2016 at the University of Utah. Um, and I did full-time school for 
I think two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So that was first year I lived in a dorm, did full schedule classes. And then the next year I just lived in a house near school with some friends. Um, and that was really cool. I got the college experience, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was awesome. <laughs> good. Yeah. Nice little, little change yeah. up from the Absolutely. school. Um, but I realized after doing that for two years that I still had that passion for skiing, but mm-hmm. wasn't able to fully dedicate myself to it anymore. Uh, so I switched, uh, didn't drop out of school, but switched to taking online classes. Um, and now I take just one or two courses at a time mm-hmm. just cause I don't have the time yeah, yeah, yeah. to do school well and try to be a world-class athlete. Yeah. Hey, I hear that takes some time too. So yeah. that that's really awesome. So thank you to university of Utah for allowing you to do yeah. that. Um, and still, still be there. So, um, I guess, so that's interesting that that's how the timeline kind of went. So I, I guess I was under the assumption that when you went to the winter sports school, this was kind of, that was the path you were going to take. It wasn't just because you wanted to ski. It was okay. Like this is something legitimate it can turn into, but then you go to Utah and become you know, for, for lack of a better term, a, a normal college student. What, um, after that first year, were there any questions or doubts or, or curiosities like, well, maybe I should go back to doing that. Maybe there is an opportunity for me to make the Olympics or, um, what was like that, that breaking point where you're like, no, nah, I want to, I want to get back into it. Yeah, I actually had a little bit of the opposite effect because after that first year that I was living in a dorm, um, I had a really bad competition season because mm-hmm. like, the fall training period is really important for us yeah and, and you I, were being a wasn't, yeah, yeah it wasn't that's not surprising my, i probably yeah. told you that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so after that spring i kind of like took a step back i was like do i really like college is kind of fun i'm already here i'm already doing it mm-hmm. um should i keep skiing mm-hmm. like i had that it was only like a few days for me to think about it and realize that no, like the passion for skiing is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely more fun than just being a college student. Um, but it took kind of struggling as an athlete to realize that I wanted to not struggle as an athlete and I wanted mm-hmm. to be better than I had been. So then you went to college for another year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely my, um, yeah, my parents, uh, <laughs> not, okay. not my parents pushing me, but I wanted them to know that I was still, um, wasn't just going to drop out and be a ski, mm-hmm. but wanted yeah. to stay in school. I had scholarships at that point due that I was trying to maintain. So that's why I stayed in full-time school. Okay. Okay. But then I realized that as an athlete, you can also get scholarships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a, other things you can do. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Glad you made it to that realization. But I mean, one thing, you know, with a lot of the ski and snowboard athletes that I've had the opportunity and the pleasure to speak with, that's one thing that nobody regrets, but it's definitely kind of something that hangs over them is, you know, you take one, as you're doing now, you take one or two classes a semester. All right, well, you know, it's, it's 10 classes a, a year. So that's going to take you five years to finish your freshman year of high school or yeah. a college, essentially. You know, so you're well behind the eight ball at that point. And, you know, obviously being an athlete and doing everything you're doing is way more cool, way more incredible. But at the same time, you know, I've spoken with athletes that are freshmen at 28 years old, which is something that they're kind of, they don't regret again, but it's, they understand it's now they're going to get an entry level job at 33 compared to the the 22 year old that's coming out and getting the same job. So it's very interesting. Um, 
but at least you're two years into the process at least, and you're, you're a little bit further along. Um, not that it's going to matter for another 10 years. So it is what yeah. it is, but, uh, still, still pretty cool. Still pretty interesting. So at what point did you join team USA, um, team, uh, your, your USA Nordic, um, as a, I guess, full-time or, or even part-time athlete? Um, so I want to say that I qualified, I was on the junior national team for, I want to say two or three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years, I think. Um, and so that would have been, I think, the year after I graduated high school. Uh, we didn't really have kind of the resources to have a development team before that. Mm-hmm. And so after that year after I graduated high school, didn't quite meet the national team criteria, but also still had potential as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was on the junior national team for two seasons. But then two years ago, met the national team criteria. And so kind of spent, I met it at the beginning of the winter. So I wasn't technically a national team athlete for that season, mm-hmm. but still did the full, full-time travel, full-time competition schedule for that winter. Then the following spring was named to the national team. And so I've been on that for now about a year and a half. Okay. And what, um, so uh, I know one thing that you wanted to speak about specifically was the developmental team and the developmental process for USA Nordic. Tell us a little bit more about that and kind of what's that meant for you and your career um, for the last few years, it sounds like. Yeah, so um, kind of like I said, we didn't really have um, the resources mm-hmm. to fully do a developmental team for the last or until a couple of years ago. Um, so that was definitely hard. Um, I had a couple teammates at the time who ended up not continuing with the sport mm-hmm. just because there wasn't the support that they yeah. thought they needed to mm-hmm. continue. Um, so I think now that we have a pretty solid developmental team slash junior national team, it's definitely um, pretty important in doing, I think, a good job of keeping kids in the sport because in the U.S., Nordic combined ski jumping are not very popular. <laughs> so it's not like we're not doing this for the fame necessarily in the U.S. Uh-huh. Um, so we do need the support from our organization to be able to keep us in the sport. Mm-hmm. And so that um, support that we get as like a 15 to 17 year old athlete definitely sets you up to qualify for the national team. And so I wasn't the only athlete that made the step from the junior national team to the national team. Mm-hmm. So there was, I think three people on the ski jumping, men's ski jumping junior national team. And then maybe four or five on the women's junior mm-hmm. national team that ended up making that jump too. So it's clearly working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, how much is that placed on your shoulders and the other athletes shoulders that have been through that? Is that, is that kind of something that is kind of either explicitly said or implied that like, Hey, now that, you know, you were helped, we now expect you to help, you know, pull these guys up the ladder a little bit, guys and girls. It's not written anywhere, but it's kind of okay. expected. Yeah. In our, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got to help out. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty satisfying to be able to, of course, be the kind of a role model. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider myself too, too much of a role model yet. Well, <laughs> you are just so you know. So next time, take that into account next time you're talking to one of these, uh, these, these youngins. But uh, no, I think that that's really cool. And again, you know, fostering that kind of culture and that commitment within the athletes and, and getting everybody on the same page. I mean, you are all 
I mean, technically, for lack of a better term, you're, you're kind of all competing for the same spots, right? Like mm-hmm. something can happen, you know, in one of these 15, 16 year olds, they can grow however many feet you need to grow in, in a year and a half and, and, you know, be able to work out like a machine and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're potentially competing against you. So I think that it's, it's still necessary and, and clearly with USA Nordic being, let's call it relatively new-ish, kind of with the, the spinoff from USA Ski and Snowboard and kind of having your own thing, like developing that culture, I think is huge and very important. So it's, it's awesome that you're giving back considering you were given. Um, it's always nice to give back. And as you said, it's pretty satisfying knowing mm-hmm. that you can directly impact someone's life moving forward. Um, yeah. That's always something that I think is, is, is super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was fortunate because when I was 11 years or 10 or 11 years old, I got to watch four U.S. Nordic combined skiers mm-hmm. win, or U.S. Nordic combined team win four medals at the Olympics. There you go. So that was a good like sight to see. So now yeah. it's like, hey, I, I want to do that. That's yeah. Crazy. Now I gotta try to get that. Very cool, man. To the up and comers. We will be crossing our fingers for you. I promise you that, Jared. Um, so explain so you're on team USA. explain the um the the circuits a little bit so i know we have continental cup we have world cup um kind of explain the different levels where you are and and i guess how you move up and down within those levels okay yeah so we have um obviously the tippy top olympics and world championships and Mm -hmm. those aren't every year those are just Mm -hmm. specific events that we have um but then every season there's a world cup which is the guys that compete and win the Olympics and world mm-hmm. championships. Um, and so that's a circuit. It's, it's usually like 50 to 70 people at mm-hmm. each event. Okay. Um, only top 50 qualify. And then the top 30 score points from those events. Um, and then step below world cup, we have continental cup, mm-hmm. which I'd say it's kind of like a, I don't know, for basketball, since playoffs are going on, it's like, NBA is World Cup, and then like the D League would okay. be Continental Cup. So they're still super high quality athletes. Um, and then we don't really have anything for us below that. There okay. is a circuit called Alpen Cup that only Alp countries in the in Europe are allowed to compete in. So it's okay. France, Germany, Austria, Italy, Slovenia, I think. Is is Continental Cup worldwide or is that specifically just here in the United States or in the northern in this continent? Uh Continental Cup is worldwide. So I think okay. last season we opened the Continental Cup season in the US. We had two events in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and two events in Park City, Utah. And then throughout the winter we were in Central Europe and Scandinavia. And then the World Cup or Continental Cup final is in kind of the middle of nowhere, Russia. Awesome. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Uh, at least those first couple travel dates were nice and easy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> quick plane ride or a quick drive. Uh, that, that's always nice. So um, you finished 21st this past season in the Continental Cup, correct? How do you move up to the World Cup? And how do you kind of elevate from one to, to the next? Uh, yeah, we have. Uh, it's a little bit different for us in the U.S. just because our teams are smaller. Okay. Um, so normally in Europe, essentially most teams, like the best teams have anywhere from five to eight World Cup starts and up to eight Continental Cup starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a real competition among bigger teams to uh, move, make the jump from Continental Cup to World Cup. 
Um, but for us in the U.S., since I think our national team is six athletes mm-hmm. this season for Nordic Combined, um, it's essentially if the coaching staff feels you're ready and if you have a good trend of results, um, you'll be able to make that jump from Continental Cup to World Cup. Mm-hmm. So I did that um, this past winter, competed in my first World Cup after I got a two top 10 results at the first um, Continental Cups in Steamboat Springs. So I finished mm-hmm. seventh and sixth place in that. Uh, and so based on that, I think my coaches saw that it would be a good time to kind of make the jump up to World Cup and see how I compete there. So are you full-time on the World Cup circuit now? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This, uh, well. Yeah. Um, this winter was my last season. Hopefully I will be in the future, I guess, to answer that okay. question. Um, this last season was my last year as a junior. Um, for us, that's under 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So the big priority for myself and my coaches was World Junior Championships, which we had in Finland in kind of late January. And so it just made more sense since that was the big goal made more sense in terms of schedule and travel and Mm -hmm. uh, preparation to ski continental cup up until then. And then after that, um, we also just didn't have enough quota spots Mm -hmm. to allow more than three athletes to ski at the world cup level. And we had three athletes that were doing well for themselves at the world cup level. So it didn't, Makes sense to swap me mm-hmm. up at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. But you did but get that experience. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. It was a really cool experience. Yeah, um, I mean, it is, it is just, super cool. I would love to yeah. talk about that event a little bit. I mean, you finished 45th, yeah. um, which, heck, if I could finish 45th in the world in something, I'd be pretty happy about <laughs> it. And then, as you, you know, 10th for the team. So, again, top 10, that's that's pretty incredible, too. I mean, what was that experience like, and how much how much more different was it than you expected? And what are some of the... You know, again, obviously, I'm sure you would have loved to finish first. We all would. But okay. what are some of the, the takeaways you had that you can now utilize in your Continental Cup events? Maybe the experience or the exposure or or helping you jump to that next stage? Yeah, so it was um, really cool. It was my first World Championships. And it was probably one of the coolest venues that you can have a first World Championships in. All in right. That's Seinfeld, nice. Austria. Yeah, mm-hmm. so right above, right up the valley from Innsbruck. Um. And so I definitely didn't go into that seeing myself as like a top medal contender mm-hmm. as much as I would like to have been. Realistically, it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of took it more as a gain of experience rather than looking for results. So it was really cool like um, being able to sit at the top of the ski jump looking down and seeing you know, four or 5,000 people watching. Mm-hmm. And then for some of our Nordic races, I think the most spectators we had was 13,000 which in the u.s when you have to explain to people what ski jumping or nordic combined is mm-hmm. they go then compete in front of 13,000 people that is pretty sweet definitely a nice refreshing change that's awesome man and so like what, what were what were some of the takeaways and like how how was that experience like what did you gain from that experience because it sounds like obviously your coaches also probably knew you weren't going in to win the medal but like there was a reason that they wanted you to attend this event right so like what what did you take away from it? Um, it was definitely like a learning experience, but also not just learning how to compete at that level, but mm-hmm. learning that I'm not 
as far back as I mm-hmm. maybe thought I was at the beginning yep. of the season. Because mm-hmm. even though I was 45th place, I think, um, we're still, I think, like three or four minutes back from literally the best person in the world, which mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, having that be your first world championship experience, if you're able to look at it more of like, I'm not that far back from the mm-hmm. best in the world as opposed to like, shoot, 40, 44 people beat me. Mm-hmm. Like, it was good to see that, you know, with the next couple of years of training and competing, like, I can, I can get there. It's not too yeah. far. I it's mean, like it's out of reach. You were 19 at the time, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you like, yeah, you got a four, a couple more years of growing in you. And then as you said, more training, more competition. And I mean, it sounds like, you know, you add a couple meters onto the, the ski jump and you know, you're going to be right there, right. From what you explained earlier. So I think that that's awesome. And, and you, you know, you kind of look at it as a negative as 44 people beat you. I think that's incredible. Only yeah. 44 <laughs> people are better than you at something. Um, yeah. And if this was a world championship, I assume, just about all the top athletes were invited to something like this. So I think that that's super mm-hmm. cool, man. So congratulations on that. I think that that's absolutely incredible. So thank you. Um, next 2022 is coming up. What do we got to do to get you there? Tell me, I'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> uh, full funding, full travel paid. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> give me a couple of years by 2022. I might be able to do that for you. Yeah. <laughs> right now, not yeah. quite, but 2022, I might be able to do yeah, that. A couple of years. Um, yeah, so I think um, we actually, my team and I had a team meeting last week, and mm-hmm. 2022 was on our goal sheet. So we made a like train, it's kind of a rough draft of where we want to be in our training, where we mm-hmm. want to be in our competition, mm-hmm. in order to get us to where we want to be at the 2022 Olympics. Um, and so our team goal that we set for ourselves kind of a high reaching goal at this point but Mm -hmm. it's attainable is uh to get one medal but to have all of us be competitive versus i wasn't at the last olympics but at the last olympics we had essentially one athlete that was competing towards the top and then the rest of us were just kind of like i was at world championships just kind of happy as a learning experience Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so our goal is for 2022 to not be the team that's looking for experience but to be the team that's looking to be the best. Absolutely. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, especially, you know, there were some young athletes there, if I'm not mistaken at this past winter game. So it was almost expected. It would be more of a learning experience than anything. And those are necessary. So yeah, absolutely. it's out of the way now though. So now yeah. it's, now it's not, Hey, we're looking for experience now. I mean, four years later, we're looking to win. We're looking to be competitive. So I think that's, you know, a great, great way to approach it. Um, not much you can do about the past. You really only can affect the future moving forward. So, I mean, exactly. why not, why not set those goals where they should be, if not higher and rock and roll from there i've spoken with many of the gentlemen and, and and females or just a few females more of the gentlemen on the on usa nordic um and uh pretty confident they seem pretty confident yeah. and i'm pretty confident in them so we'll uh, we'll see what happens moving forward so what um what, what is the qualification like what do you have to do over the next couple years few years three years whatever it is to either put yourself in a great spot to make the games or almost guarantee what needs to happen so essentially for us the only guarantee that gets you on the olympic team is if you win the olympic trials which happen either a month or two before the olympic games Um, all right so that's a guarantee if you win 
that event stress, you're going to the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, stress level midnight on that one, waiting yeah. all the way up until then uh, to figure yeah. out if you're going. But I mean, um, what um, I guess, how do you make it then to the Olympic trials or what are the other ways that you could potentially um, make the team as well? Yeah, so we have usually probably either four or five spots for the Olympics. So mm-hmm. essentially you just have to be one of the top five skiers in the country at that time. And so mm-hmm. we have a qualification criteria that I think it's laid out for us, it's like November of the season before. So I guess it'll be November of 2021 to probably January of 2022. Mm-hmm. So based on kind of World Cup results, Continental Cup results, upward trends, um, that'll be uh, the criteria that'll get you to qualify for the mm-hmm. Olympic team. Because we cool. can start laying out criteria now, but since we are three yeah three years away from the olympics and if you have an athlete that's good now they might not necessarily be good that and i hear that everything changes pretty much each games and rather than keeping these things constant it feels like they change them just for fun um yeah. so hey it is what it is i mean track and field just got you know pretty much completely changed around uh for what's needed in, in many of the oh, wow. track in the track um qualification process so that's very interesting as well but Awesome, man. Good stuff. Well, of course, Jared, we are crossing our fingers for you. I can <laughs> promise you that. Um, and then the last question, last topic I want to talk about is what's next? Um, you know, obviously, we're not trying to kick you out of the sport. At 19, you went to your first <laughs> World Cup, so we expect great things. But at the same time, I mean, in 15 years, 20 years, maybe you're going to need to find another profession or, or figure out something else to do, another way to make enough money, I guess. Um, yeah. what, um, what, is, what is next for you? Obviously, you're in college or kind of halfway over halfway through college so what what is what is kind of on the horizon what are other things that you look to potentially be doing when uh when the time comes good question i haven't thanks as much yeah uh, as much as i'd like to say i've thought a lot about like past my career mm-hmm. i'm more kind of thinking towards the end of my career like olympics world championships down the line mm-hmm. um but yeah like you said i'm a junior in college now so Ideally, I'll have graduated in the next, like, three or four years, maybe. Crossing our fingers, man. You don't yeah. have to, though. Again, take your time. It's fine. Yeah, and exactly. you know, I actually like when I ask this question and someone doesn't have an answer for me. Um, not, that, not that it's different for any athlete. It's just you're clearly – I mean, again, you're super young, man. You're, you just turned 20, like, a month ago. Like, shoot, yep. take your time. You got nothing to worry about. I'm 27, and I've changed careers twice already. So, um, you know, it is um, – take your time to do your thing. And I think it's, it's uh, it'll come and you'll figure it out. Some athletes have told me like, no, I'm just going to stay in the sport. I'll be a coach. I don't care. That sounds great. If I can do yeah. this the rest of my life, I'm for it. So that's great too. Um, and others are like, I love this sport, but I can't wait to be a veterinarian. <laughs> it's like, awesome. Yeah. That's great too. Like I'm all for it. So, you know, it's, it's cool that there's no answer. I mean, it's something you're super young, which helps, but um, you know, take your time, figure it yeah. out. You got, you got a minute. No worries. Yeah. I definitely like what I'm learning about in school, which is like kind of climate related science Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i'm thinking probably somewhere down there especially like as a winter athlete very cool man are you a part do you have anything to do with uh protect our winters are you doing anything with pal uh not technically no aside from being a supporter of them Uh but not uh a pow athlete or anything so Maybe if they listen to this, I hey, do I'll, uh, I'll tag them in everything. I promise you that. So if you're listening, pal, Jared's a yeah. cool guy. Um, but no, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. I know a few of the the skiers and snowboarders have brought up that specific organization. That's why I bring it up, and I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, that's incredible. Um, good stuff. Jared, this was 
great. I hope you had a good time. One last time, Jared Shoemate, USA Nordic Combine, Olympic hopeful for 2022. Um, appreciate your time today, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for talking. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Jared Shoemate. As I said, super cool dude, very laid back, knows what he's doing. Young guy, but he's got a great head on his shoulder. So I'm very, very glad that we had the opportunity to speak and we had the opportunity to really understand what it's like coming from a slightly lower level um, on Team USA and understanding that last year really wasn't going to happen. If it did, that's incredible. But if it didn't, it wasn't expected. And and being able to take the experience over the time, utilize it, move forward and, and uh, you know, see what we can do for the 2022 Olympic Games. So thank you to Jared. All of his socials are in the show notes. So please make sure to go follow him. Ours are, ours are as well. Look at that. That's a mouthful. Uh, US, uh, I can't even say it. Look at that. Uh, Instagram at ourathletes.us. Twitter at ourathletesusa. Check out the website. It should be live at this point. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully things things happen all the time, so we never know. Um, www.ourathletes.us. So check that out. See what we got going on. Professionally made. Looks gorgeous. Got everything going. So super excited about that one. Um, what else? Uh, rate this, please. Comment, subscribe, review, share. Do whatever you have to do to get this just bumped up a little bit in the iTunes algorithm and Spotify if they even do stars or ratings. I, I don't know. Stitchers. Castbox, all these places, Google, Anchor, I don't know, wherever you are, please review it or, or at least just give it, give it some stars, give it some love because that'll get these incredible stories in front of more and more people. And if you're listening to it, you probably think these stories are incredible and we would really appreciate that. So thank you so much. Really, uh, from me to you, thank you so much. Um, other than that, thank you again to launchingpodcast.com. Promo code Mike, you get $50 off the step-by-step video course on how to create your very own podcast, which is fun. And it's my favorite part of every day. And I highly suggest that you at least try it because it's a blast. And if I could do this for the rest of my life and be Joe Rogan, I think I'm not the only person to say that, but I think I'd be the happiest person in the world. Um, thank you all so much. I hope you have an absolutely wonderful day.